Welcome to the Hirschfeld Century Podcast. I'm Katherine Eastman, the Archives Manager of the Al Hirschfeld Foundation. And I'm David Leopold, the Creative Director. Today we have a really special guest. We have Robert Bader, who is many things, but most importantly, the author of Four of the Three Musketeers, which is really the story of the Marx Brothers on stage. It really is. It really is. <laughs> so that's it, true. It came out in 2016, <laughs> and I thought it was the best performing arts book, maybe the best book I read that year, and I still stand by that. Mm. Um, it was it, the only book you read that year. I was about year. to say, well, your book came out the, the year before. Are we so. not counting cereal boxes? Because I read those oh, all okay. the time. I'm often told by people that it takes them many months to get through this book. So. Well, it took you many years to write it, so that seems appropriate. True um, it is... It is the definitive story of the genesis of the Marx Brothers, and it is incredibly well documented. And it not only tells their story, but it really provides the context of the world they, that they were in. If you want to know about vaudeville, this is a great book to, to read. I and think you, as Groucho would say, vaudeville. Vaudeville. <laughs> yes, vaudeville. And... Uh, um, but he's there. He could pronounce it any way he wants That's to. That's true. Right. I think it's cute. <laughs> well, we have Robert on today because uh, a couple of weeks ago, we discovered a piece of history. Well, Robert discovered a piece of history and brought it to our attention. And, it, it, you know, we don't get a letter every day, an email every day that says, um, hey, listen, I think I may have found the first Hirschfeld drawing on the Marx Brothers. Right. Well, it's kind of a funny thing because it had been sitting in my collection for a very long time without me giving that much of a thought. Mm. But for some reason or another, I was looking through some material again. I'm revising for the Three Musketeers for eventually a paperback edition with some corrections and additions. And the March Brothers toured for their MGM films when they first came to MGM in 1935. They went and toured some scenes to test them out in front of audiences. And for a night at the opera... They did a very short tour. In fact, they canceled two weeks of that tour, which would have brought them to Los Angeles and San Francisco. So they only really did the show in Salt Lake City, Seattle, and Portland, and canceled San Francisco and L.A., but people from the studio didn't have a chance to see it. So MGM set up a special performance in Santa Barbara where the Marx Brothers did three shows in one day, and MGM took a trainload of people from the studio up to see it, and that would have been on May 11th, 1935, at the Fox Arlington Theater in Santa Barbara. Mm. Now, so, before we get, we get to that, before we get to May 11th, 1935, the question is, had he drawn them earlier? Well, that was my question for you, because right. I didn't think so, because the Marx Brothers had simply not been at MGM, and Hirschfeld was very much associated with MGM. He wouldn't have done anything with the Paramount Group. No, he had he had done some drawings for others. He did drawings for other studios all the time. But he certainly, we have no record of any drawings from their Paramount films. Um, and then I wanted to go back. They were on Broadway three separate times. And could he have drawn them then? Um, well, their first show was I'll Say She Is. And give us the dates of I'll Say She Is. Well, I'll Say She Is spent a year on the road before opening on Broadway in 1924. Then it closed in early 25 and went up back on the road. So they did Alsatius for quite a long time, but the Broadway run was pretty much from May of 24 through, uh, I think, February of 25 or so. So Hirschfeld was not drawing theater at that time. He had only published his first uh, caricature in April 1925, 
and he left for Paris in October 1925. So uh, the, the chances of him drawing that production are almost nil. What's the next show on Broadway? The Coconuts. And what was the run of that on Broadway? Fall of 25, but they did play it for three years in total. We took it on the road for a couple of seasons after Broadway. He probably would have had a longer chance of seeing Coconuts. It played for a very long time. Mm. I would assume that living in New York during the Marx Brothers' prime years of vaudeville, Hirschfeld had a fairly good chance of seeing them, sure. probably at the Palace or maybe even uptown at you know the Riverside of the Century. Hirschfeld was a guy who appreciated that sort of entertainment, so... Chances are he saw the Marx Brothers in vaudeville. Probably didn't draw them, though. No, we have no record of, uh, of, of him drawing them. And he would have drawn, primarily he did, he got assignments to do drawings of shows just when they opened or just before they opened. He did some drawings during the runs, especially in the early years, but not really that many. And he was in, he was not in the country when they opened Coconuts. Where was he? He was in Paris. I think it would be fair to say that had Hirschfeld drawn any of the Marx Brothers Broadway shows, we'd be having a hard time not finding those drawings. Right. They would have been fairly prominent. Right. Well, he was not, the, you know, he wasn't, I mean, he was always Hirschfeld, but... Right, at this time he was, what, 23? 23, yeah. yeah. Yes, but I'm confident that somewhere along the way David Leopold would have found those drawings. Right. Or uh, I'm pretty confident that Robert Bader, researcher extraordinaire, <laughs> a man who put together where they were by looking at old train schedules and where vaudeville performers would have gone. How else would you do that? Uh, so, I mean, I think the combination of those two things, uh, my research and yours, would have uncovered a drawing. Uh, and whether it was in, I mean, no matter what paper it would have been in, uh, you know, there were 14 daily newspapers in New York at that time. So what was the third uh, show on Broadway? Well, it was Animal Crackers, which opened in 1928. Mm. Um, had a slightly shorter, each of the Marx Brothers Broadway shows had a shorter run than the one before it. But they also toured them all after. It was a very lucrative business model to take a Broadway show on tour after it had been on Broadway. And in the Still case, is. Yeah, I mean, True. but with the original cast. Right. Uh, the Marx Brothers could not actually send their show out without the Marx Brothers. It wasn't going to work. Uh, in contemporary theater, I see shows in Los Angeles that are often hits on Broadway. When they get here, they usually have a different cast. Sometimes True. it's the same cast. Usually in the case of the, the wonderful Carol King musical, mm. the original Broadway star's twin sister did it out here in Los Angeles. <laughs> so it's kind, <laughs> of, it's kind of like seeing the real thing. Sure. Sure. Well, in 1928, in July 1928, Hirschfeld again left the country, this time to go to Russia, where he spent five months in Moscow and, and around there uh, on what was ostensibly his honeymoon, but he was also interviewing and writing about the Russian theater and film scene. And for clarification, this is Hirschfeld's first wife, Flo, who was a Ziegfeld Follies showgirl? Uh, no, uh, Earl Cowell's vanities. Oh, Earl Cowell. How did I mess that up? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, there's a funny thing about the Ziegfeld Follies. It's okay. kind of the, sort of the generic catch-all for being a showgirl. Everybody wants to If their grandmother was a showgirl, she was she in the Ziegfeld, Ziegfeld Follies. Follies. But there was the Greenwich Village Follies, the sure. Carol Vanities. There were the lesser ones. But nobody wants to say their grandmother was in one of the lesser shows. They're Earl, all Ziegfeld Earl girls. Well, the shows sexy. that people don't know, Ziegfeld has become sort of a name brand. Right. Yeah. He did not draw any of their three Broadway appearances. And we have found no drawings of any of their films. Now, you've been sitting on this drawing for a long time. I had actually seen it 20 years earlier. When I was doing research for uh, 
the well, I saw it twenty years before that. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a. It's not a. I saw it first. Uh, because I'm confident that Robert saw it first. Mm. I found it in the New York Public Library in a microfilm copy of an old motion picture trade magazine, and I just printed it and had it, and it was in my files. And when I was writing the book, I was more focused on their stage appearances from the vaudeville era than the film tours. Right. But it was there, and it occurred to me that it is a different look of the Marx Brothers from any other Hirschfeld. Well, that is true. And, and when I saw it in 1999, uh, when I was out in Los Angeles doing research for Hirschfeld's Hollywood um, at the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, the Margaret Herrick uh, Library, uh, I, was, I found this image along with several others, in fact, tons of others, in all these uh, film trade magazines. Uh, and I had found a series uh, an MG, MGM had put out uh, a six or seven page ad with the different uh, films, really the different performers that were going to be uh, in the new films of the season. And while well, it was it was in May 1935, we know when that when that uh, uh, piece appeared. Um, and there was one of Spencer Tracy, his first drawing of Spencer Tracy, in which the image of Tracy is all made up of newspaper headlines for a film called Murder Man, which he actually ended up doing the window cards for and posters for. There's also one of uh, uh, Law and Hardy in Bonnie, Scotland. Um, and by 1934, 1935, he had been drawing the Law and Hardy for MGM for uh, seven or eight years. So those images of uh, Law and Hardy were very well-defined and unquestionably Hirschfeld. Mm. The Spencer Tracy was a little bit more of a challenge, but it very much fit in with Hirschfeld. When I saw the Marx Brothers, there were some things that didn't necessarily read correctly to me. And at that time, I was very much more, I didn't want to claim something was Hirschfeld when it wasn't Hirschfeld. I I mean, I still don't, but I was much more sensitive to it. Now, in 1999, I could have asked Al Hirschfeld. David. I know, Come on. but uh, that's on the list of the many things I didn't yeah. ask Al Hirschfeld. As many I'm, things I'm as we talked list. about, and he certainly would have known. You know, we talked about things I found in this when I was doing this research. I didn't get around to asking him about this because at that time there were already so many drawings of the Marx Brothers. It didn't occur to me that this could be the very first one. Mm. So uh, when looking at the piece, um, Groucho looks very much like Hirschfeld's Groucho. Um, the hair, which is done in these wavy lines, is something that you see him do again in the Night at the Opera posters. Uh, the hand holding the cigar uh, is very classic Hirschfeld. You see it in uh, posters for Jailbirds of Paradise. Um, there's a great images of the stages at cinema cathedrals. Um, there's one of the Cracked Icemen, uh, which is a poster, a Charlie Chase film. Um, uh, Merrily We Roll Along, uh, the Kaufman and Hart play, uh, has this hand holding the cigar. And it's a very distinctive um, sort of signature piece of Hirschfeld's work. So that led me to believe that, well, that could be. The interesting thing about this is that Chico is playing the harp. Mm-hmm. And Harpo looks a little bit sort of, what I would say, unfocused. Yeah, he looks now, a little crazed. If yeah. I may throw this in there. There's a gag they had been doing on stage when the Harper piano solos would come 
in the Broadway years, occasionally the lights would dim, the spot would come on the piano, and Harpo would come out and start playing something really terrible on the piano, and Chico would come and throw him off the stool and then do his solo. Right. And they had reversed that gag and had Chico mm. come out and look around at the harp and you know touch a string, and then Harpo would come and chase him off the harp. Mm. So what... But, and having no exact documentation of precisely how the show ran for the scenes we night at the opera, we just know they performed five of the scenes that would be in the film. It's very easy to believe that they resurrected that gag for the harp and piano solos in scenes we night at the opera, because clearly Hirschfeld saw that. Right. But again, in 1999, I looked at it and I said, why would he make that kind of mistake? That just seems like a, a mm. bonehead move. Mm. But it makes sense now. Yeah, there were certain little stock gags that came from their Broadway years that would pop up all through those stage tours of the films in the 30s and 40s. So that was probably one of the more popular ones. It was also very easy to do. It always got a big laugh. Mm -hmm. Right. So before we go any further, and you were just kind of talking about it, can you explain to us civilians here and youngins uh, what exactly was happening on these movie tours so it sure. sounds like they were promoting it in theaters and would reenact yeah, yeah. scenes well what they actually no, did this was is before the film was made they tried to keep it oh. sort of under the radar they okay. played in remote places playing in Portland and Salt Lake City most of the country didn't even know this was happening mm. so the idea was when they signed with MGM Irving Thalberg who was their sort of mentor and great protector at MGM until he died while they were making a day right. at the races he noticed that their Paramount films were kind of choppy, messy, crazy comedies, mm -hmm. and he didn't feel that they would appeal to a wide audience. Right. And many people feel that he emasculated the spirit of the Marx Brothers, but brought them so much more of an audience that they just made so much money. Mm -hmm. Groucho later on would say, the best films we ever made were with Thalberg at MGM. But they weren't. They were the most financially successful films they made but what they wanted to do was replicate the success of the early films artistically at least that they had honed in front of an, a live audience so well so many of the the great set pieces in even the paramount films come from their stage performances here's a surprise revelation that i got a lot of feedback on when the book came out when they went out to Hollywood and made their first film not to be based on a stage play, they ended up creating, with their team of writers, Monkey Business, which is very much based on Home Again, their most successful vaudeville show, which they did for seven seasons. Mm -hmm. So many of the gags in the first bunch of March Brothers films were taken out of vaudeville shows. The scene in Animal Crackers, where Harpo's dropping the silverware, that wasn't necessarily written for Animal Crackers. It was in Home Again. Mm -hmm. They replicated it on Broadway in Animal Crackers, but it dates back to 1914 in Home Again. So there's things like that in all of the early Marx Brothers pictures. There's even a vaudeville bit in the big store. The double piano solo started in 1912 in Mr. Green's reception. Mm. But when they came to MGM, they felt that duck soup and horse feathers weren't the best they could do. They were obviously wrong in retrospect. Right. right. Duck Soup is really one of my favorites. But that's my favorite. Yeah, all five Paramount movies are amazing and great, and the spirit of what the Marx Brothers do is all right there for you. Mm. You could make the case that they, they never recovered from losing Zeppo. Mm. That's at least my theory. Right. But they decided that they would take the material out on the road and see how they could time it with a live audience. One of the really interesting things to look at is a script of the contract scene that was used on the tour where you could see where they tightened it up or left it a little bit loose for a laugh. Mm. So they worked on that, and they had writers, in this case Maury Riskin, out in the audience 
making notes on a script, mm. you know, lengthen, shorten, that kind of thing, add a line, take a line out. So they wanted to do enough of that to just get some really good notes before they filmed it. I see. So it's like it's kind of like an out of town tryout, but it's an out of media tryout. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's, exactly, no, that, that's, that's actually a very okay. good description of what okay. it is. Right. Uh, there was also an interesting article in the Los Angeles Times during the tour, where it reported that they got a chilly reception in Seattle and Salt Lake City, and that they were really working the show up in Portland and getting it all fixed up and everything. So the reports from these shows was not necessarily great. Mm. So they really did work these things, and they would do it again for a day at the races, and then they would do it for the uh, for Go West and again for a night in Casablanca. So they did it four times. Mm. Uh, they didn't do it for their later, you know, in, for the big store and at the circus because, you know, Mayer, Louis B. Mayer, was not a big Marx Brothers fan. Now, incidentally, right. Louis B. Mayer was among the MGM executives who went to Santa Barbara for that performance of A Night at the Opera. So let's talk about that, this performance of Night at the Opera that we think Hirschfeld saw. And right. is what this drawing is from. So the next question is, can we document Hirschfeld was there? Right. And, it's and what is it, May 11th, 1935? 35. Okay. Yeah. And so what I did is I've, you know, Hirschfeld in some ways has this very public diary of drawings in the newspaper. Certainly he could do drawings in advance and drawings could appear even if he wasn't in town. But right. these... Broadway and the newspaper world were very different than it was today. You didn't have long uh, uh, lead time. You got an assignment on Tuesday for a drawing they would need Thursday mm -hmm. for a Sunday's paper, you know, right. that type of thing. Um, so I went back and took a look. Because by Sunday it might be closed. Right, exactly. Um, in uh, So I went back and took a look at our records, and there are no drawings mm. in the s second half of May 1935. Mm. And so I thought, well, that's interesting. There isn't another drawing until June 9th, and it's a theater map. Mm. You know, something summer obviously theater. he could have done in advance. Right, for the summer theaters. For the summer theaters, that's right. Um, so... Now, of course, in the world that we live in today, the end of May is not a particularly busy time uh, on Broadway because all the shows would have opened by May 1st, which is typically the Tony deadline. Right. And so no shows would have opened. Mm -hmm. Well, in May 1935, there were no Tonys. They were 12 years away from right. uh, uh, even starting. So, uh, so then I thought, well, maybe this is the way it was. Maybe it was... Shows were closing down for the summer. Maybe new shows weren't opening. So I went back to 1934, and lo and behold, there's drawings every week mm. uh, in May 1934. In May. I go to 1936, same thing. Mm. There's drawings every week, sometimes more than work. one. Yeah, mm -hmm. this is... This is the part of research I love, is mm -hmm. trying to put together the evidence mm -hmm. of something happening. It's all circumstantial. You know, we don't have a Hirschfeld diary that says, oh, I'm going out to Hollywood to do some uh, things and I'm going to go see the Marx Brothers. But if anyone has one, let us know. <laughs> um, I wish. He kept actually very good uh, appointment books, um, which he, later in his life, but uh, we don't have things like that for the 1930s. So... All of a sudden, the pieces start uh, uh, coming together. Right. Hirschfeld was deeply involved with MGM at this point. Mm. In, in 1935, it would have been much more likely to see him referred to as an MGM artist rather than a New York Times right. artist. Uh, he liked all the people there. They all liked him. This was not a very stiff and formal group. 
these guys were all a little bit crazy. Hmm. Uh, Hirschfeld told me that in New York in the late 20s, he would go down to the MGM offices. They would go out and play handball. Then they'd go to Barbetta's and have an, uh, eat Italian food. Then they'd come back to the office and sit around and, you know, shoot the bull, uh, watch some movies. He'd get some photos and go home. Sometimes if they needed something quick, he just sat down at a table and drew it. Mm. But it was very loose. It was full of all kinds of crazy characters. A guy who kept uh, a goldfish. He brought a goldfish from home uh, and kept it in his drawer at work. Um, you know, they just, they were weirdos. And they were, it was it was very f- wide, it was free range uh, uh, art department. Right. Uh, and so Hirschfeld was very at home in this audience, in this, in this crowd. And uh, so I don't know, we don't know if he was in Hollywood in 1935, but it seems likely that he, he would have been. And it if, seems as though he was possibly not in New York. Yes, yeah, he right, was not in New York. The and the idea that um, MGM was taking a group of people down to, see, to Santa Barbara to see the show, or up, up to Santa, Santa Barbara. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm map challenged. Well, down and, from New York. Down from New York. Across, <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, seems very likely that he would participate in that mm-hmm. because that has all the elements that Hirschfeld would like. All of his right. friends in a train going to see the Marx Brothers. And uh, what would he have done? He would have come. He would have wanted to sort of pay for his trip. So he would have done drawings. Mm-hmm. And they needed drawings. And there's actually a, a sort of an unplanned nature of the whole thing the mm. tour was supposed to continue after the three cities it was you know salt lake city seattle and portland supposed to be followed by san francisco and los angeles this tour cost mgm around 30 grand sure. and the march brothers were getting paid 7500 bucks a week right just for showing up right now something some things you read about this tour say they played 11 scenes from a night at the opera but really it was five basic marx brothers scenes then they would count the piano solo, the harp solo, a song by the romantic leads. Alan Jones hadn't even been hired yet, so he's right. not even singing these songs. But it was a full show around the movie. They did the show four times a day. Wow. And they had canceled Los Angeles and San Francisco, where all the studio personnel were probably to see it in Los Angeles. So they arranged, after the Marx Brothers came back from the road and were in L.A. for a little while, they scheduled these three shows to be done in Santa Barbara, basically for the MGM people to go up and see them. Now, they could have easily found a theater in L.A., I suppose, but for some reason they did Santa Barbara. Uh, they ran a train up there. Uh, people like Fred Chateau, Joan Crawford, Louis B. Mayer, Jesse Lasky, Zeppo. Zeppo Marx went to the Santa Barbara show with his wife, Marion, and all of their celebrity friends came up to see Santa Barbara, hmm. which is probably why they did three shows. They probably could have just done two. I think they did a special one that wasn't sold to the public just for the MGM crowd. Right. So my suspicion based on the shortly thereafter appearance of this Hirschfeld drawing in the trades mm. and what looks to me like a depiction of something they probably did on stage at that performance. Mm. I'm sure Hirschfeld was on that train, not having even known what you just said about him not being in New York doing drawings for the papers. Mm. I mean, it just makes a lot of sense. Right. Uh, so uh, all the circumstantial evidence sort of leads to the same conclusion. Well, short of finding his train ticket, I think we'll have to leave it there. Right, exactly. <laughs> but it does, I mean, within a few short months after doing this drawing, where it's sort of seminal uh, Marx Brothers by Hirschfeld, he, he tightens it up. 
Yes. And we get the Night at the Opera posters. We get the great collage mm-hmm. uh, where uh, against the, all the sheet music and uh, Harpo's hairs with cotton balls and uh, Chico's hairs with Brillo pads and, and, and things like that. Really, the, the beginning of what Hirschfeld said was he knew he was getting good because the people started to look like the drawings rather than the other way around. This, to me, is the real start of it. And this, and this particular piece is literally, you can sort of start that yellow brick road of his career uh, with the Marx Brothers right there. And there is another interesting thing about the images in this trade ad. The Marx Brothers had done a photo shoot for MGM almost the moment they signed the contract. They went in and did a photo shoot. Some of the most iconic photos of the Marx Brothers come from this photo shoot. I'm pretty sure it was a Ted Allen photo shoot, famous MGM photographer. Mm -hmm. And one of the images was of Groucho Harpo and Chico in front of a, a musical staff with their mouths open singing a note. And Hirschfeld uses that image, at least in part, in the drawing we see Groucho's mouth open singing in front of a musical right. staff. So he probably had access to that yes, photo shoot, yeah. which was very, very current at the time. Sure. Some of those photos were, in fact, used in publicity for the live dates that they mm. played on the tour. So that photo was probably one of his reference points Exactly. He may have made sketches during the performance. I mean, that's how we get the Chico playing the harp. Uh, but he, he, like always, he liked to augment it with photos to make sure he got the facts right. right. The, um, the, the other one I'll point out is there's this photo of a very horizontal Groucho leaning on his elbow, mm-hmm. almost like on a chaise lounge, right. which is a, one of the most iconic Ted Allen photos of Groucho. It was actually used in a poster for a Ted Allen photography exhibition many years ago. Mm-hmm. and. Clearly, Hirschfeld saw that, too. So there you have it. The history of the very first Hirschfeld drawing of the Marx Brothers. It would go on, uh, I've said this many times, after Hirschfeld drew the Marx Brothers, all the subsequent drawings of the Marx Brothers are really just redrawings of Hirschfeld's depictions of them. Mm. And as you pointed out to me, Robert, many years ago, at Day at the Races, the costume department at MGM decided that Hirschfeld's depiction of the Marx Brothers was better than the Marx Brothers themselves and started giving Groucho these two triangles of hair. Yeah, the most noticeable thing, if you look at uh, a Day at the Races, is that they've tried to tease Groucho's hair out to almost come to points at the ends. Mm-hmm. It, it looks very much like the first Hirschfeld drawings of Groucho. And what's interesting, even this very, very early one, you get a little bit of that. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. But it becomes a little bit more pronounced later. Right. When I guess he says that's the most striking thing. And I guess it's kind of a cat and mouse game. Was it the day at the races mm. use of the hair that made Hirschfeld draw it even more extended? Mm. Or? No, I think at I night at the opera and the collage, you can already see it's already, these it's very distinct triangles. triangles. Yeah. Mm. And uh, again, he's using exaggeration there to right. emphasize and make it seem more real than Groucho mm-hmm. himself. One of the things I always look at in a Hirschfeld of the Marx Brothers is what he's doing with Harpo's eyes. And I know it comes to a, a great crescendo when he puts stars in Harpo's oh. eyes. Right, right. Well, that that great one from the cover of Wyatt Duck. Absolutely. We were just mm-hmm. looking at the drawing. And uh, Harpo's got stars in his eyes. It's so well done. That's a really nice piece. Yeah, and in this early one, he's doing something kind of odd with the eyes, but it's not quite to the level of stars yet, but you can see he's going there. He's right. just going to do something yeah. really interesting with Harpo's eyes. Right. So that's what I'm saying. We have all the sort of source material that he would refine not too long after. I mean, uh, soon thereafter, he does six different posters for Night at the Opera. 
We know he does oh, at least a half dozen trade ads. Mm. There were probably black and white drawings that were also in the press kit. So, I mean, he's already helping to not only record, but define the Marx Brothers for the public. Mm-hmm. There's also some interesting, I should probably ask you this question. I don't know the answer to it. Later on, there'd be sheet music for some of the MGM films. Like the big store has a couple of pieces of sheet music with these little Hirschfeld drawings all around the edges of it. Sure. Like March Brothers chasing March Brothers. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, those were probably specific to that piece of sheet music. I don't know that those got used in a lot of other well, places. Well, there's, I mean, there's in room servers, there's this image of uh, uh, Harpo chasing a girl. And, you know, they. I think that he did a lot of images and they were cut up and used in yeah. different ways mm-hmm. because they could be. They, right, right. They, they, they existed without a sort of, uh, horiz- you, know, uh, uh, you know, the a horizon line. There's no horizon oh. line in Hirschfeld's mm-hmm. drawings of the Marx right, Brothers. Right. They exist in space. And so that you can put them anywhere. And yeah, that's true because in the lobby cards for the MGM films, they may not have any Hirschfeld artwork prominent, but in the little block with the title... There's a few little Hirschfelds thrown in there. <laughs> right, exactly. The heads tell us the whole story. Um, so uh, thank you very much, Robert, uh, yes, for thank you. Uh, t- uh, sharing this with us and giving the opportunity to really explore, to document this piece of really, I think, uh, Hirschfeld history. For those who love minutia, we're here for you. Yes. <laughs> and for those who don't, I'm here for you. <laughs> so go out and buy for the Three Musketeers. Uh, do yourself a favor. You can, and in the show notes, we'll have links to all the drawings that we've talked about. Um, we will, uh, and we'll we'll be talking more Marx Brothers in the future. Not oh, to worry. Oh yes, don't worry. Yes, right. We just told the first story, really, which yes. is kind of the last story. It's the most current <laughs> the, one. The next trick is to find out what the second Hirschfeld drawing of the Marx Brothers was. Night at the which, Opera. Which of those six posters oh, do you do next? <laughs> That's David's next job. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Uh, thank if you. If you like what you've heard today, rate and review us on iTunes. Robert likes to see them in Harpo's eyes. We like to see them in reviews on iTunes. So please do that. If you have a question, a comment, a piece of advice, or a complaint... What? Send it to Catherine. No. No, you can send it to info at alhirschfeldfoundation.org. You can also look up anything Hirschfeld ever did, ever drew, at alhirschfeldfoundation.org. You can look it up by performer, by production, by publication, by date, by theater season, by year. We really try to make it easy for you. And we are on Facebook, the Al Hirschfeld Foundation, and Twitter and Instagram at Al Hirschfeld. So thank you very much. Uh, And you can also listen to the uh, podcast at alhirschfeldfoundation.org slash... Oh no! What is it? I was I was getting I was getting so excited to figure out what the S was. <laughs> what was that email for the complaints again? Info. <laughs> That's Kate at Al Hirschfeld uh, Foundation. It's Al. The podcast is at Al podcasts with an S at the end for S- Santa Barbara. Oh, see, I was gonna go S is for Robert S. Bader. <laughs> what does the S stand for? Stephen Edgar. Oh. <laughs> I was stealing a joke from a March for this picture. I'm yeah. sorry. I was. <laughs> trying to get the right middle name for David did. <laughs>But here's the thing. So I went back to 1934. Oh, I thought that was your point. <laughs> no, there were air conditioners, actually. Oh, there were? Well, the, well they well, had that's... air conditioning, not in the not way in the that front, we yeah. view it today. 
Okay, sorry. Well, so you, you want... started. I thought you were going to go with so <laughs> the summer, so the theaters were closing down and yes. everybody's going out for the summer. Brief digression on show business air conditioning. <laughs> for whatever this is worth, and you can cut this out. <laughs> I'm not cutting it. I'm going to make everyone else suffer okay. through this. If, you you gonna, if, if you're having a hard time sleeping, this is an excellent thing well, to listen gonna, to. Uh, Close don't, your eyes. Don't, don't sell me short. I think you're going to like this. All right. Okay. So in the early days of vaudeville, when there was very little air conditioning, if they wanted to run a show when it was warm outside, they would get a huge block of ice and have it at the back of the theater with a giant fan pointing to the ice to blow the cold air into the audience. Sounds nice, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that would be worth mentioning because I can't think of another context where I'd ever get to say that. Well, there you go. You're welcome. <laughs> okay, so David, you were saying there's not another drawing till June 9th.